Welcome to What the Wealth, a financial planning and investment podcast for professionals and families to help you navigate life's financial transitions. Jonathan's mission is to facilitate the ability for you to plan for and create the life you love, free from anxiety about money. And now, here's your host, certified financial planner, Jonathan Bedner. Welcome to What the Wealth Live. This is Jonathan Bedner. I am your host. This is actually November 9th. This is Monday morning. So if you're listening to this, this will also be episode 21 of the What the Wealth podcast, uh, and that will air on Thursday morning, November 12th. So again, thanks again for joining me. This is What the Wealth Live. This is now how I am recording uh, my podcast, but also uh, live streams to YouTube, uh, Twitter, and Facebook on the on the business page. So um, today we're going to talk about open enrollment, and then I also have uh, some listener questions that came in. There's actually one listener fired over three questions, and so we'll we'll tackle those um, a little bit towards towards the end. But I, I want to talk about open enrollment. Uh, and employee benefits. So the open enrollment period uh, typically takes place in the late fall and early winter time frame. Uh, it's the only time of year, and there's some exceptions, but by and large, it's the only time of the year where you can make these changes to your employer-sponsored benefits, like medical, dental, uh, life insurance, those type, disability, those type of, of benefits. Usually you can make changes to your retirement benefits at any time. But if you want to do the actual employer-sponsored benefit changes, again, usually revolving around healthcare, then the fall is usually when you're able to, to take advantage of making those changes. There's a couple of other times where you can make changes outside of the open enrollment period. That's usually when there's some sort of major qualifying event. This may be a marriage, divorce, birth, adoption, death, um, maybe some sort of involuntary loss of existing benefits, or you move or reallocate to a new location, or you get a new job, um, and you're able to opt in to, to some of those benefits right then. So if, if you have a major life event, usually you can make those changes immediately without having to wait for the company's employer-sponsored, or excuse me, open enrollment period. There's a lot, uh, a lot to kind of unpack here. A couple of questions that you know I think you should ask, and it's not my recommendation just to re-up for the same plan you have this year, because times have changed, uh, coverage has changed, your needs have changed, and so it's a good time to go through and ask some questions. Does my current plan meet my family's needs? Are my providers covered? So you know, a lot of times doctors will change the insurances they accept or what tiers of insurance they'll accept. And so you want to make sure that if your health insurance uh, that you have in place now may cover certain medications, may cover certain doctors, may cover uh, nationwide coverage, may just cover in your state, you want to make sure that, which could be an impact on travel, you want to make sure that your new provider, the, the plan, the new healthcare option that you're that you're using to opt into is is covered. And so that's a good a good one to look at. Do I or anyone in my family expect to 
need significantly more or less medical services next year. So, um, you know, if there's some sort of health condition that came on, or if there is, you know, maybe a new child, maybe an adoption, you know, you're going to need more coverage. And so you're going to want to increase the medical services you offer for your family to include not only those other people, but maybe to make sure that the uh, new drug is, is covered. Um, I take a tier four drug, so it's much higher on the prescription formulary than maybe other over-the-counter or more readily available drugs. And so when you take a tier four or tier five level drug and you make a change in your medical coverage, you want to make sure that those coverages also coverage those drugs because they may or may not. And it may change from, from year to year where one year it may, uh, may cover it and the next year it may not. I got a letter this year uh, that said uh, it appears that my tier four drug will still be covered, but instead of a carte blanche, yes, it's covered. We will have to go through some additional quests from the doctor to get that approved before the insurance company will pay for it. So you definitely want to make sure that, again, not only your doctors are, are, are covered, but if you have uh, increased need and you have more medical expenses that that those are covered again do i have more or fewer people needing coverage under my plan you know this is obviously if you have more children if you adopt we've already touched on those as your children get older you may have less needs so you can you know reduce the amount of people you're covering for usually that is age 26 now uh, they your your children fall off uh, your parents coverage or, or your coverage so if your if your dependent children are over the age of 26, then those those can usually come off your health insurance. So so you could remove those. Consider your spouse's plan. So you know you want to make sure that you're not only comparing your existing options, but what are their options, and does it make sense to switch to their plan? And and it may or may not. I, I know that for our family, I'm on my own plan. My wife and two children are on there on my wife's uh, employer's plan. Um, I have some clients who, um, depending on the coverage year, may shift to the other employer's plan. Uh, and then I have some where husband is on husband's em employer plan, wife is on their employer plan. And so you just want to make sure that your benefits are being maximized so that you've got the best coverage possible for your for your situation. I don't necessarily recommend choosing the lowest cost plan. That may work for you. It may be a, a benefit that has coverage that's just fine for your current situation, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's the best plan for you. So, you know, you want to consider deductibles, your co-pays, your out-of-pockets, uh, prescription costs. So just coverage choosing the cheapest may not be necessarily the best especially if you end up having a health event in the middle of the year so you may be healthy to start the year not need any sort of extended care or uh, maybe higher cost drug packages like tier four or tier five prescription drugs maybe you do not need to go out and find some sort of medical provider that is outside your coverage area or or out of state even if they are inside your coverage area and so what can happen though is as you know we have an accident in the middle of the year say you get covid say you're in some sort of an accident say you you know you get some sort of rare disease those 
costs may may dramatically increase. And so uh, if you just use the lowest premium plan, then you may have higher prescription drug costs, you may have higher out-of-pocket limits. Uh, so that's something to consider. A lot of employer-sponsored plans are starting to offer HSA benefits, and this can help offset healthcare costs, but it's an often overlooked retirement planning vehicle. And I've talked about this in the past, where if you don't need your health savings account to pay for doctors or medical treatment or prescription drugs, then a lot of times what I would recommend is you put this money into your health savings account and you can actually invest that money and the money can then grow tax-free to be used in, in retirement for health expenses. So if you contribute money to a health savings account, you get a tax deduction on your, your current year's taxes. The money grows tax deferred. So, you know, the money that you invest, you're not paying taxes year in and year out for the plan. And then as you get into retirement, you can actually take money out tax-free as long as you do so for qualified medical expenses. So what I would recommend is you keep your receipts for prescription drugs, for doctor's visits, for co-pays, uh, and use those receipts to then be able to withdraw money out of your HSA uh, later on. It looks like for 2021, so for next year, you can contribute $3,600 into an HSA for an individual and up to $7,200 into an HSA for a family. And those that are uh, age 55 by December 31st, 2020, you could also contribute an additional $1,000 catch-up contribution into your HSA for that. You also want to look at an FSA, so flexible spending account. The difference between an HSA and F an FSA is that an HSA is not user to lose it. So you can build these funds inside this HSA and you can use them 10, 20, 30, 40 years down the road. An FSA or a flexible spending account has to be used before the end of the year or you forfeit that money. And you can use this for, a lot of times you can even use it for daycare or dependent care coverage. You can obviously use it for, for health-related expenses. The amount that you can put in is usually much less. Again, usually varies by the employee-sponsored plan. I usually see somewhere between 1000 and maybe 1500 bucks, depending on the employer. Um, but it's very important that whatever you, whatever you put into that flexible spending account, that you actually use it before the end of the year. If you only use $500 of the $1,000 FSA account before the end of the year, then you forfeited the other $500 and you've lost that money. So you wanna make sure and, and try to kind of pre-plan some of your expenses. If you're gonna need you know, eye exam and maybe new eyeglasses, maybe that's a great way to kind of do some pre-calculating on what you think that cost would be. Maybe you consult your doctor for, for you know the family's eye coverage, get a, a rough cost of, of what that would be. Um, and then you're gonna use the FSA to cover those, those eye, eye exams and glasses, contacts, that sort of stuff. That way you don't leave the money in there and then end up forfeiting it at the end of the year. We and my family, Becky uses ours for daycare and dependent coverage. 
and and so it's it's usually maxed out pretty quickly only takes about a month to end up using it you want to take the chance to look at um, other opportunity to check in on other issues are you having too little or too much withheld for your paycheck for for tax planning purposes you know are you getting too big a refund at the end of the year or are you owing too much at the end of the year this is a great time to make those adjustments for for tax planning are you happy with your 401k uh, you can make adjustments usually without throughout the year with your with your 401k, uh, but this is a good time to maybe sit down and review beneficiaries, the investments, how much are you contributing, are you on track for your retirement? So you know I think those are, are really good ways to really look at kind of the open enrollment, sit down, take 30 minutes. Is the employer sponsored plan uh, meeting your your needs and objectives for the current year. There's also a lot of times employers will offer long-term care uh, coverage. They'll offer long-term disability, short-term disability. So these are also uh, great benefits that you want to make sure that you have in place to take care of you should some sort of need arise. So with that said, there's there's a high-level overview of, of the open enrollment. There was a couple of listeners, actually one listener submitted me about three questions. And so I want to tackle those quickly. And they all revolve around savings. Can you have too much in savings? And my answer to this is no. But there are also different types of saving strategies and saving vehicles. So there's an emergency fund, there's long-term retirement planning, there is uh, education planning, maybe you're going to plan for starting a business. So there's ways to go in and talk about all of these different saving strategies. But no, I don't think you can have too much in savings. Now, you could have too much in one savings bucket, but you don't. I don't think you can have too much as a whole in your saving strategy. Um, so that takes me to you know, how much should one have? I typically have recommended six to 12 months of living expenses inside an emergency fund. Some, some people talk about three to six months. And so if, if you're married, a lot of people will say you just need three months because the other maybe have some more job security. If you're single people, um, some people say six months. I still tend to say six to 12 months, whether you are married or single, and I, and I just look at this time where, you know, we've got this pandemic and, and some industries were hit harder than others, but you may have a prolonged period of time where you need emergency fund savings as a resource to get you by. And if you don't have that in place, then you put yourself in, in major, major financial harm or, or financial danger. So, you know, again, I think the six to 12 months is, is a good a good a good amount to have for emergency fund and i think that's what this this person when they submitted this question was asking was specifically for emergency fund not for long-term retirement but to take it a step further we talked about what should someone do with ex excess funds based on the market right now the market has had a tremendous dive this year and then it's v-shaped right back up to as of recording this today at all-time highs and, and so what should someone do with these excess funds based on the market right now? I talk about a couple of different things and I'm going to pull up the way that I kind of envision 
you know, what you should be doing with these excess funds. Number one, and in here I have three to six months worth of living expenses. Again, I've already said that I think six to 12 months is, is probably a little bit better safety net. But you know, first and foremost, you're gonna to wanna to allocate to an emergency fund. This is money that should you lose your job or you have a reduction in pay or you know, some sort of extenuating circumstance that you need to rely on a, a bucket of savings to get you through some period of time. So that is your, your first bucket. The second bucket is long-term investment. So this is usually retirement planning, 401k, Roth IRA, or Roth 401k, and then finally the health savings account, which we touched on earlier in this recording. All three of those I kind of put into the long-term investing bucket for, for your long-term success. And then from there, I like to talk about what, I, what I've started calling the opportunity fund. And so I consider this a hybrid between an emergency fund and long-term investing. So I do invest this money, but I normally do it uh, a little bit more conservatively. And so if the money is needed or you have an, a circumstance where maybe you've depleted your emergency fund, then you could tap into the opportunity fund to supplement the emergency fund that got depleted. If you don't need the emergency fund and um, we've got the long-term investment bucket in place, then maybe this is a, a, a fund that can be used to dip into another type of investing. Maybe real estate, so you might wanna buy a rental, either long-term or short-term to create a, a, some more passive income or a, a just another asset that you can use. Maybe you wanna use the opportunity fund to start a business. Um, so maybe your passion has always been to, to write a book and start a, a speaking business. Maybe you do that. Maybe it's that you want to go start a flower shop or um, some sort of consulting business, whatever the business may be, you've got this opportunity fund in place that you, you've used to build up to, to start that business and, and that you've got a base there to help to support that for growth. And you're not just winging it from, from ground zero with nothing uh, to help support. Maybe it's money that you can use to invest if the market has a major decline. So if we see, you know, maybe there's a March, uh, February, March timeframe again, like we saw uh, earlier this year in 2020, where the market declines 20, 30, 40%, then you've got this bucket of money where you can either go invest uh, more aggressively in the market as a whole, or maybe you're comfortable picking some individual securities that you think provide some opportunity for, for long-term growth. Either one of those could be could be an option for maybe a market decline. So, you know, I don't think there's any anything the opportunity fund couldn't be used for, with the exception of I do think it be needs to be used for some sort of investment, either an investment back into yourself to get you out of an emergency if you use you know if you depleted the emergency fund, and then you know being able to use some sort of of money to be able to fund, you know, an additional opportunity, buying, buying real estate, uh, starting a business, investing in the market, something like that. What I don't want you to do is tap any of these accounts to go fund a beach vacation. That does not set you up 
uh, up for success. So all three of these buckets are designed so that you have buckets that allow you to have continued to success. And again, I talk about micro actions a lot. These are three buckets that we would consider micro actions in order of bucket one, two, and three to then create long-term pursuit of success for you. And again, these don't guarantee success. What these do help you do is have a strategy in place so that if the fire gets started, you've got the extinguisher to, to cope with. How do we put that out? And then how do we leverage our current situation to better ourselves for future growth? So, you know, again, I think that those are a really good way to think about what we should do with those excess funds based on the market right now. And a lot of it will depend on how much time left you have to invest before retirement and and what your individualized investment objectives and goals are. But those three scenarios, I think, are a good way to think about savings, how much you should have, where you should allocate it, what you should do with it, and what it looks like for your for your goals. As always, this none of this is is designed to be individual uh, investment legal tax advice. It is educational in purpose and and just a way for you to think about how do you continue to improve your individual finances and your circumstances. So with that, I hope I hope today's episode has been good. Again, this is What the Wealth Live with Jonathan Bedner. I'm a certified financial planner and co-owner of Paradigm Wealth Partners in Knoxville, Tennessee. This will also be used in the recording for the What the Wealth podcast, which will air on Thursday, November 12th. So with that, go out, create the life you love. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for joining us on What the Wealth. For more information, get in touch with Jonathan at whatthewealth.com. Remember to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any information that can help you create the life you love. The information of this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through Paradigm Wealth Partners, a registered investment advisor and separate entity from LPL Financial. This information is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized tax advice. We suggest that you discuss your specific tax issues with a qualified tax advisor.